Take your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, and chapter number 22. And Father's Day, I love preaching on Father's Day. Uh, a lot of interesting topics the Lord brings to mind and to preach on, but as I mentioned before, uh, Lord laid this message on my heart about three months ago and uh, has been working on it and it's a rather simple message. Guys, we like simplicity, don't we? There's only two points today. All right, two points. The problem and the solution. Amen, we love to fix things, don't we? We want a solution to things. We're faced with a lot of problems today. And I know we like to mention that a lot, but I think we can't ignore it either, that we're faced with issues, especially in the area of leadership. We need men that lead today, men that are not only leaders, uh, we look for leaders in the political realm or in society, but what we see a dearth of today are spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders, you don't necessarily have to be a father to be a spiritual leader. You can be a single man and be a spiritual leader. Uh, but if you are a husband, you need to be a spiritual leader for God has called you to that. Ephesians 5 is very clear. If you are a father this morning, can I just tell you something? Your calling is to be a spiritual leader. It's not your wife's job. It's your job. And we're going to see why this morning. Now, do the ladies need to have a spiritual leadership? You have a place of spiritual leadership in your homes? Absolutely, yes. But we already had Mother's Day, sorry. Uh, so I'm, we, I picked on the ladies on, uh, on Mother's Day. Now it's time for me to pick on the guys. And the ladies are like, amen. Finally, it's about time. But, uh, and I'm preaching as much to myself as to you this morning. But Ezekiel 22, if we could stand together out of respect for the ring of the word of God, as I mentioned... Two points, the problem and the solution, but we're going to see in verses 30 and 31, we're going to see an issue. Now, we have to understand the context of what we're looking at here. The book of Ezekiel is a book of prophecy against Israel. Israel was completely gone into idolatry. They had been judged by God over and over, and this was the last call of God before the captivity came. This was the last call of God. If you're going to fix this, you're going to fix it now. If you're going to fix your idolatry and turn away from it and turn back to me, you're going to fix it now because this is what's going to happen. The first part of uh, this, uh, this chapter in the middle there, God compares them to lead and dross in the midst of a furnace. It's, I'm going to gather you together in Jerusalem and I'm going to blow my fire of wrath upon you and melt you. But before that was to happen, God looked for someone, one person to stand up and lead and say, we need to get back to the Lord. And verses 30 and 31 are perhaps, I believe, are the, some of the saddest in the Bible when we see that this was the condition of Israel. God was looking for someone. But in verse number 30, it says, And I sought for a man among them that, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. 
colon. But I found none. Isn't that amazing? This is the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. God was looking for one, but he couldn't find one. I'm thankful if we're not in that condition today, but can I tell you something? We're accelerating towards that really quick. Verse 31, therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. And we look at this and say, wow, this is, this is a great Father's Day message preacher. You know, this is encouraging. But we're going to go backwards in the chapter here in a moment. And we're going to look at what the solution is going to be to this. We cannot say that God is not just. God is just. God is merciful. We see God's mercy to Israel over and over again. We see God's mercy to us over and over again. But we cannot continue as a country, as a people, even as God's people, to look at God and say, we love you, but yet we don't do what he commands us to do. Her preacher recently said, probably the most reasonable statement in the Bible that Jesus made. He said, how do you call me Lord if you do not the things that I command you? And so, men, I'm challenging you this morning. Who will stand? Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that you bless the message this morning. And I pray this morning, represented here, and I know there are represented here, Lord, that those that want to stand in the hedge, but how do we do it? And I pray that we would seek your word this morning and that we would see the issue and the problem of what is going on in our churches and what's going on in our nation today in your solution, not our solution, Lord. I pray that you give me the words to say, give me wisdom, Lord, and clarity of thought. And Lord, touch hearts. For Lord, I can get up here and give a message, but Lord, without your help and without your intervention and without thy spirit, it's nothing. And Lord, I love you. And I love the men here today. And Lord, if anything impresses upon them, Lord, more than anything else is that they will love you with all their heart. And if they already have made that commitment, Lord, that they would renew it. But Lord, touch hearts, rise up a generation Strengthen the current generation, Lord. We need to stand in the gap. And Lord, I pray that they understand today that they are the last line of defense for their families, for this church, for their community, and for this country. And it's up to us. I pray, Lord, that we would see that and feel the weight of that this morning. Help us to see it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Who will stand? So we get to this verse, this is the end of the chapter, and say, like, what's going on in Israel that God is angry, that God is ready to destroy them, God is ready to, as it says, melt them with the heat of his wrath because they have all become as dross, which is the waste product, the imperfections that come out of gold and silver. So I'm going to put you through the trial of fire. So number one, the problem this morning, the problem. Let's look at the problem. Well, let's go back to verse number six of Ezekiel 22. There are four groups that are represented here that we're going to see within the problem. Four stratas of society. And we have the same today. The first being mentioned in verse number six are the princes. 
the governments, those that were the leaders of the people. Each tribe had a chief prince and others underneath them. We see that throughout the Old Testament, especially in relation to the Exodus and Moses, that there were princes appointed and that they would speak and act for their particular tribe. So we see verse number six, what was going on in Israel at this time? Behold, the princes of Israel, every one were in thee to their power to shed blood, that they were ruling by violence, that they were oppressing. We see oppression is mentioned here, but that they were ruling by violence. But now verse number seven is a very interesting verse. In thee have they set light by father and mother. In the midst of thee have they dealt by oppression with the stranger, and they have they vexed the fatherless and the widow. But this is an interesting phrase. It's not usually how we speak today. Uh, behold, uh, that in thee have they set light by father and mother. So what does this mean? You kind of gloss over that. This is a very significant statement. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 16, Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. So what does this mean? It means to curse or belittle them, to belittle their role, to belittle their authority, to belittle their advice, to say, I don't have to listen to you. What was going on? The princes, the leaders of the government were setting at light the authority and the influence of mom and dad. Oh, don't we see that today? They're not your kids, they're our kids. That's what the government's trying to tell you. They're not really your kids, they're our kids. That better scare you to death. And I'm telling you, they've been coming for the kids for a long time. Satan always comes for the children. But he only comes for the children after mom and dad have been lulled into a false sense of security. You know what a lot of parents say? That's right, they're not ours, they're yours. Take them. We don't want the responsibility anyway. That's the sad thing of today. But the princes were making light of parents. But not only that, we see that they oppressed or enslaved non-Jews that were strangers of the land. So they were the, uh, those that were non-Jews. Uh, they would oppress them, treat them wrong, neglected the poor and needy, the fatherless, orphans, and the widows, which God commanded them to take care of. We see that all through Scripture, that was a law of God, to take care of the orphans, those and the widows and the infirmed, to do that, and instead that they neglected them. And vexed the fatherless and the widows. Verse number eight, thou hast despised mine holy things and hast profaned my Sabbath, what have broken the Ten Commandments. Holiness was not important anymore. Separation from that which was ungodly was not maintained. The day of worship of the Lord was neglected. We see at times in Scripture when the prophets came, there were times of uh, periods of time that no worship had taken place in the temple that had to be cleaned out and had the cobwebs had to be cleaned out of the house of God. 
Verses 10 and 11, in thee have they discovered their father's nakedness, in thee have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution. One hath committed abomination with his neighbor's wife, and another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law, and another in thee hath humbled his sister, his father's daughter. What is going on here? Immorality of every type and stripe. Isn't that the day we live in today? You know, I say, well, we don't have a problem in our country with immorality. As I mentioned the other week, you know, you have one of those little data graph things that shows the most popular websites, you know, over the last, I think it was since 1998, you know, when the internet became real popular, you know, the, you know, you see the rise and fall of AOL and Yahoo, who remembers AOL, right? I remember those little CDs they used to send you in the mail, right? <laughs> Dial-up internet by AOL, you know, it's like, okay, pastor, you just dated yourself there a little bit. But, you know, remember, I remember that we used to get those things all the time. We used them as Frisbees. We get so many of them and all those things. But you know what? And in the past four years, that in the top five most popular internet sites with six billion, that's with a B, billion hits per month is Pornhub. And you think our country isn't in trouble. And that every single kid that goes to public school understood what I just said, no matter how old you are. You understand exactly what that is, where it is, and how to get it, and know exactly what I'm talking about. That's sick. Doesn't matter if you're a six, seven, or eight-year-old, you understand exactly what I just said. That's sickness in a country. And the government's okay with that, as we see with the books that are allowed in school today. Now, it's encouraged that's what you do. It's sick. And God hates it. Is that what we see today? Absolutely. Well, this is the, the ruling class, the princes, the government, the leaders in from local government all the way up to national leadership. Is that what we see today? Absolutely. Now, is that everyone? No. Thankfully, there are still some people that stand up for right, that are representatives and senators that stand for right, but you never hear about them. You know why? They don't want you to hear about them. You have to go to the Christian news networks to hear that they, you know, it's like, wow, I didn't know these people even existed, right? If you watch, you know, any type of mainstream news, you didn't even know these people existed. They got, wow, they stand for right, but no one wants to hear from them. The next group is the prophets. We see in verse 25. Let's go down to verse number 25. The prophets. Verse 25. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls. They have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many windows in the midst thereof. They conspire to hide sin. Conspiring together. That's not sin. No, 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 no. You're misunderstanding the laws of God. They conspire to excuse sinful behavior, saying, it's okay. We see in Ezekiel 13, the prophets prophesied peace when the prophets of God were declaring that war was upon them, the judgment of God was upon them. But Ezekiel said, no, they prophesied peace, peace. What are you talking about? We live in a day of peace and prosperity. Destruction isn't coming. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just alarmist. You don't have, you know, faith in the grace of God. But they conspired together to hide sin and to hide the truth from the people. 
that God was pleased with them when he was really disgusted with their vileness. If you read the book of Ezekiel, you see that over and over and over again, that God was disgusted with sin and idolatry. They have preached and built a wall that cannot stand. Verse 28, we see in our prophets have dabbed them with untempered mortar, seeking, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. Is that the day we live in? When there's many preachers across the country today in denominations or not even in not necessarily denominations, but are speaking and said, oh, we live in a day. We don't need to worry about the sins of our day. It's okay. God forgives. And we just need to live in peace and prosperity. God's going to grow your bank account and God's going to give you peace. God's going to make you get that promotion. And that's exactly what we need. We don't need to worry about all this sin stuff. God forgives all that anyway. Let's just live like that. Is there a conspiracy of that today? Oh, yes. Can I tell you something? That some of these people that preach that, they're students of the Bible, they know what they're preaching is a lie. They know it. But they get multi-million dollar book deals about how to have the purpose-driven life and how to have great teeth and great hair, right? And have your own private jet. But can I tell you something? There's nothing of substance there. Instead of decrying the sins of our day, and when they're put on Larry King Live, they can't even say what sin is? Is there a conspiracy of that? Absolutely. It said, in the last days they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, meaning what? That the teacher's ears itch, meaning they're constantly listening to the people. Listening, what do you want to hear about over here? Okay, oh, I'll preach on that. Oh, I'm going to preach on that. You know what? My ears don't itch. Just letting you know, you probably figured that out already. Guess what? There's temptation there. Well, you know, what do the people need? And said, you know who I ask? I don't ask, hey, what do you need? You know, what do you need in, in your life? I ask God what you need. And God provides with his word right here. I can't tell you how many times that people come up to me afterwards and say, Preacher, you are preaching at me. How did you know? I didn't. God knew. I don't know. And I'm glad I don't know. I'm glad my ears don't itch. I'm deaf. But the prophets, the prophets have taken advantage of the people, had misguided them for their own purposes. It says there's ravening wolves. To what? What does a wolf want to do? Wants to eat you. Wants to take something from you. And it's usually money. So we see the princes, the prophets, the trusted messengers of God all through the Old Testament. Their job was to warn of sin, to warn of God's judgment. And instead of warning of that, they're saying, God's judgment's not coming. It's okay. God, you know, God's judgment isn't going to come upon America. You know, God isn't going to judge us for aborting babies. Amen. You know, we said, well, God isn't going to judge us for that. Can I tell you something? I think maybe something we forget about. So we, come, we see the nation of Israel coming into the land of Canaan. Now, the first city they come to is Jericho. So, Jericho was the city-state of which nation? Does anybody know? Anybody know? Anybody know? The Amorites. 
It's okay. What's significant about the Amorites? Well, God had a lot to say about the Amorites in his word, and specifically the sin of the Amorites. You know what the sin of the Amorites was? Child sacrifice. That they would take their babies and sacrifice, and then on the altar cut off their heads, put them in a jar, and bury them to dedicate an altar. That's what they would do. They would sacrifice their children. And God was so disgusted with them, he said, told the children of Israel, destroy them. And, you know, we would say, well, we never do that. But, you know, that's exactly what happens in an abortion. And we can't say that God isn't going to judge that when it's murder of an unborn child. We can't say that God's not going to judge that. I'm thankful for the progress in banning it in different places in our country. I'm thankful for that. But it's still happening. We can't say, oh, it's all good now. No, they're still happening. Even here in the state of Texas, it's still happening. It's not only the prophets, the priests, verse 26. So the priests, the, those in charge of the worship to God. Verse 26, what did they do? Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. God say unclean here. Neither have they showed the difference between the unclean and the clean. To who? The people. And have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. What's happened here? They have not been careful to follow the laws of separation for God. Yes, the, uh, the, um, the, the laws of clean and unclean, but that was for a reason. It was to teach something, that the things of God don't mix with the things of sin. The things of God and the worship of God cannot mix with the world. It can't happen because the two are the opposite. You can't mix oil and water no matter how much you try. It'll always separate. Why? Because that's the nature of them. And we see the same thing. What's going on? They decided, well, we're not going to teach the difference. We're going to have our own worship experience. You know, where everybody feels comfortable. Well, everybody feels included. Where people that live a life of sin, that's okay. They can feel comfortable in the house of God. If you look at the New Testament law, that was not the case. You were to come holy to the worship of God. Praise God that there are still preachers today that teach that. And we can't be holy by our own righteousness, but only through the righteousness of Christ and his shed blood. That's the only way we can become acceptable to God. They have polluted the things of God. They have not been faithful in teaching the commands of God. For it would encroach, many times, here's the important thing, on their own sin. The sins of the priests, it would encroach on their sin. If you ever find a preacher that won't preach on pornography, better watch out what he's doing in his church office. Amen? Amen? Can I just tell you something? Husband, father, I'm going to love you right now, okay? But I'm going to tell you something. If you won't deal with pornography in your own house with your children, you're probably doing it. Ladies, I hope you understand that. Because that's so prevalent today. 95% of men, no matter what color stripe or religion you are, are involved in pornography today. And if your husband is unwilling to deal with your sons or deal with protecting your home, he's doing it. I'm just telling you straight up. Don't believe me? Start asking some hard questions. Sorry, 
Sorry, guys, but we have to be honest here. It's what's going on today. And guess what? You never give your kids free access to a computer because they're coming for your sons and for your daughters. They're coming. Well, don't, don't, your, don't your children have a tablet? Nope. Don't they have a smartphone? Nope. Because I know the devil's real. I've had too many broken lives sitting in my office. Too many marriages where the husband gets involved in pornography and then goes and cheats on his wife. It's sin. Don't sit there and play around with it. It's sin. Deal with it. Confess it. God forgives. But then don't sit there and say, it'll never happen to me again. That's arrogance and pride. The priests, they do not observe God's holy day. This is not what's happening in our country today. It was yesterday, was... <laughs> we were getting our tire pressure checked over at the discount tire. And it was a really nice guy and, you know, Invited him and said, oh, so what's your plan? Are they taking you out for Father's Day? I said, well, I don't know, maybe. I don't know. My wife's like, well, he's a preacher. You know, that's the way he works that day. He goes, oh, Sundays are for fishing. And uh, I was like, okay, I just kind of let that one. So I gave him a track. I said, hey, if you're not fishing one Sunday, just come out and visit us at church. I said, well, maybe I'll have the fishing poles in the back and I'll go after. I said, that's good. That's good. You come on visit. That's good. I said, but that's the attitude of our culture today, that Sunday isn't for God. Sunday's for me. Sunday's for watching the NASCAR. Sunday's for watching the Super Bowl. Sunday's for going, doing whatever I want to do. It's not about going to church and worshiping God the first day of the week like he commanded us to. And the priest said, that's fine. You can do virtual church from your house. If you don't think that, I watched this Christian community, he did this whole thing about the virtual church with the virtual reality set and everything. You can select, you know, what clothes you wear and, you know, what kind of, if you want to go, you know, choose the conviction level of what church you want to go to. I mean, it's hilarious. I started rolling laughing, but it's so true. And it will happen one day. But is that really what it's about? Is this what we see today? Yes, they're not faithful preachers and teachers. They weren't teaching the law of God. And then that leads us to the fourth group, the people. The people. So we've seen the princes, the prophets, the priests. Now let's look at the people. Verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. By the way, how did the people end up like this? Who, what group of people did we just see oppress the poor and needy and oppress the stranger? The princes. So they were leading all the way down. There was a trickle-down effect to the people. Their leadership wasn't doing right, therefore the people weren't doing right. Hey, it's okay to do this. They will not deal with these leaders knowing they are wrong. They go along in their profound liberty. They extort, oppress, and ignore those who are in need, just like their leaders do. You know, we see a lot of debate today, you know, 
the great battle between communism and capitalism, right? A lot of people that say, if you listen to people, well, communism's wrong, but capitalism's wrong too. You know, crony capitalism. And I, I forget who said it, but this very profound statement. Capitalism without a moral compass in the word of God will create problems. Will create theft. Will create oppression. Amen. But if you have a moral compass and you're honest and you work hard, it works. And you follow the Lord and honor God and his morality. But if you don't have a moral compass, you don't have morality, you have nothing. Man will always abuse whatever system you have. But then we see the proclamation in verse number 30. Their leaders had led them the wrong way. They exhort, extort, oppress, and ignore those who are in need. They're consumed with themselves. They desire for things to go on just like they always have. They're only concerned about me and what I want. Does our country have a problem with me? Oh, yes. Do our churches have a problem with me? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Fewer and fewer are those that are willing to just really just give all and sell out to God. Well, what is that going to cost me? doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. That's what Romans 12 is talking about. It's reasonable service. It shouldn't matter. But we have to sit there. Yes, we should count the cost. But at the same time, well, am I really willing to give all for God, let me, you know, it is only, Paul saying it's only reasonable because Christ died for you that we should love him and serve him. And he has a perfect plan for your life. And then we say, well, let me sit there and think about that for a minute. You know, I really had plans over here, but I know if I'm a Christian, I can't do that. But is what God have really better? And we have young people having these debates in their minds. Uh, you know, I don't know. Can I just say something? They've missed something in there. Either we as parents have missed something in teaching them. Because at the end of the day, what do parents blame? The church. It's the church's fault. It's the school's fault. It's the college's fault. I don't. It's my responsibility to teach my children about God. Yes, the Sunday school helps. The children's church helps. But it's not their responsibility. I'm not going to blame Caleb and Becca, if my kids go off the deep end. I'm not going to blame Mrs. Hallman or my wife. Definitely not my wife, no. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to blame if when my son gets into I'm not going to blame Brother Connor. Hey, you didn't teach him right in Sunday school. It's your fault, but a lot of parents do that. Well, it's your fault, pastor. You didn't teach my kid right. Well, can I tell you something? If I preached it here and then you didn't live it at home, that is your fault. Personal responsibility here. Our children are our responsibility. And if they don't turn out right, then we need to ask ourselves a question. Is it our responsibility they didn't turn out right? Is it our fault? And we've all made mistakes. But in spite of mistakes, if you recognize them and seek forgiveness from the Lord and you head on the right path, God blesses that. Every single time. God blesses that. But what's the proclamation? On all of this, all these groups of people, and as I, verse 30, I saw for a man among them, that should make up the hedge. What's a hedge for? It protects. We see that with Job, that Satan couldn't get at Job because he had a hedge of protection around him. He said, does Job serve you for naught? He said, I can't get at him. And God says, I was looking for one. That should make up the hedge, make up that 
place of protection and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. He couldn't find one prince that was willing to stand and say, you know what, what we've been doing is wrong. We're not following the law of God. And he cared enough about the people he led to say, no, I'm not going to go with everybody else. I'm going to stand here and I'm going to proclaim this because God's right, God's holy, God needs to be worshipped right, and I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to stand here in this place. He couldn't find one prophet that wasn't sold out in the conspiracy to say, to proclaim, thus saith the Lord, judgment's upon us. Judgment is coming because we have dishonored God. They couldn't find one prophet to do that, to stand in the gap and say, no, I'm going to proclaim the truth of God. He couldn't find one priest that would say, no, we're worshiping God the wrong way. We're worshiping God the wrong way. We're not following the laws of God. We're not keeping the Sabbath day holy. He couldn't find one. He couldn't find one person to say, you know what, everybody else is doing this. Everybody else is going this way. It seems that the worship of God has gone away. The prophets of God aren't proclaiming what's true. The princes, but we have the word of God. And not one person would say, I'm going to stand with the word of God and I'm going to worship God the right way. I'm going to live for God the right way. What we're doing is wrong. He couldn't find one. That's amazing. Couldn't find one. And that's heartbreaking. And we can sit back and say, praise God, we don't live in that day. That's what's not going on in America. There are still lots of people that are standing in the gap. And I praise God there are people standing in the gap. But can I tell you something? The numbers are going the wrong way. The numbers are going the wrong way. I don't know of anybody my age that I know. I'm sure there's some out there. I'm not saying I know everybody, but in my generation of people that I know, I don't know any of them that would preach that what I just preached right there. Oh, that's a little too rough. That's a little too truthful, I guess. I'm thankful for a father that taught me tell the truth and let the chips fall where they may. The truth is the truth. (laughs) My dad grew up in inner city Utica. And, you know, he grew up in the late 40s, 50s. On the wrong part of town. And, you know, there was the the Italian part of town. There was the Polish part of town. You know, (laughs) never the two shall meet. Chicago is the same way. A lot of cities were like that back then. But then he told me that there were things that were going on, you know, people stealing. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. You know, he and his brothers beat people up because, you know, that's what they did in those days, you know. (laughs) You steal something or you take liberties with somebody's sister, something happened to you. Not saying go out and beat people up. That's not what I'm saying. But they had a very strong moral compass of what was right and what was wrong. Today, well, you know what? You've got to give the perpetrator a chance. You know, they had reasons for what they did. You know, don't you hear that? They have reasons for what they did. You know, they had a psychological issue. They had this. They had that. You know, uh, Parkland shooter. 
oh, he was mentally unstable. Have you seen the interview that he had with the police? The devil told me to do it, and his voice changes. He's demon-possessed. Have you seen that? That's the devil. I'm sorry. That's not some mental instability. That's wickedness. That's the demon possession. Don't sit there and say, well, he had reasons. I understand he had a rough upbringing and all those things, but somewhere along the way, the devil got into that young man, and that's the heartbreaking thing. Who's going to stand? God's saying, I searched. He searched their hearts. He searched their actions. And does it make us think of Abraham's discussion with God about Sodom and Gomorrah and that God and Abraham had a discussion and Abraham got down to the number 10. God, if there's only 10 people left in that city that love you and are righteous, will you spare the city? He couldn't even find 10. You know what's sad about that? I was listening to Mike Allison's message about some of these things. There was another preacher that preached about these things. You know what's sad about that? Let's do some math here. So you got Job and his wife. Got his two daughters. And he says other children. A daughter and a son-in-law. And he he went down the whole thing. And that, if you do some supposing, you come to the number 10. You think, why did Abraham choose the number 10? Because I think he was thinking of Lot's family. But even out of that 10 of Lot's family, not all 10 loved God and were living righteous. Because when he went to warn them, what did he say? He was as on one that what mocked. Ha, you've gone crazy. This is heartbreaking. Out of any of these four groups, couldn't find one. Here's the solution. We've seen the problem. The solution's actually rather simple. God is still looking for man to stand in the gap today. Who's he looking for? He's looking for princes who will stand. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom he had chosen for his own inheritance, Psalm 33 tells, he is still looking for people. And thank God there are still some people in government that are willing to stand up. He's also looking for prophets who will stand, who will preach and teach the word of God. Acts 20, verses 26 and 27, Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. By the way, that should be, if you're going into ministry, that ought to be every preacher's motto. I don't want any blood on my hands. I don't want any guilt in my court. No matter where, what happens... I'm going to preach the whole counsel of God. Prophets who are going to stand. By the way, that's what's going to make the difference in our country is preachers and evangelists that go to the four corners of our country and proclaim the truth. There are still people being saved. Interestingly, I watched a video, a short video clip. I didn't watch all of it, but that there are these people that were, they go out and sow in and that they're at a pride event. And guess what? A trans activist, they witnessed to him and he accepted Christ and got saved. God's still saving people. But too many preachers won't stand. I was taught not to stand here. 
that you can't get up and say things like this. I was taught, you're going to offend people. Guess what? I've had people get up and walk out. I've had that happen. I'm not trying to have that happen, but they're offended at truth. And it breaks my heart every time it happens. I always search myself. Did I say something wrong? Did I do something wrong? But at the end of the day, we have to understand the truth of God's word. It is very clear. Remember what we learned this morning is dividing the center of soul and spirit. So if you're over here and you're not wanting to hear what God says, it's going to offend. But instead of it being offensive, what should we do? We should come into alignment with God's word. Let's go to Joshua 24 for a moment, and I'm done. Joshua 24, verse 14. Joshua 24, verse 14. God only does, does, not only wants princes and prophets and priests who will stand, but he also wants people who will stand. In Joshua 24, 14 and 15, verses we know well, It's on the cup for today. We need men. We need husbands. We need fathers that are going to say this about their home. That are going to stand and say, no matter what happens out here, it doesn't matter if Christianity becomes illegal. It doesn't matter if a bill like we just heard about in California that you go to jail if you don't gender affirm your children and you get your kids taken away from you if you don't affirm their gender they're confused about, even if that becomes nationwide, it doesn't matter. We're still going to do what's right. The government doesn't legislate our spiritual freedom. And it doesn't legislate that we can't worship God, that we can't pray, that we can't take the word of God and share it with somebody else. Proverbs 24, 14 This is very telling. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And here's the important part. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve you the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord for he is our God. You know, you listen to that, and you're like, wow, that's great. You know, they're excited about what God's done for them. But Joshua's response is puzzling. Verse 19, Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Like, okay, well, that seems to have settled it. Well, it's a very important phrase that Joshua told them, something he told them to do. That when they repeated back their answer, they didn't mention this one part. 
That yes, we're going to serve God because of all that he's done for us. He's brought us into this land. You know, God, if you think about this, the prosperity gospel, if you will. Well, I'm going to serve God because look at all he's done for me. He's done, I have all this. I have a nice house. I have all of this. And we're going to give God praise. And it seems on the surface okay. But why would Joshua say, well, you cannot serve God? One phrase he said, put away your gods. Put them away. What does that mean? Destroy them. Get rid of them. It's in the midst of you. Destroy it. They wouldn't say they would put away their gods. They didn't say. And that's why he mentions, you cannot serve the Lord God for he's a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression nor your sins. Why? Because of idolatry. He says, no, she's like, no, but we're going to serve God. We're going to keep them around. We're not going to put them away. We're not going to destroy them, but we're just going to serve God, even though they're sitting right here. It's never going to work when you try to get away from sin, but that you keep the sin sitting in your house, right? You're trying to quit smoking or something like that, and you can't do that if you keep the pack of cigarettes in the cupboard, right? Well, I'm trying to quit drinking. That's great, but I keep the... No, I keep the pack, the six-pack out in the garage. You know, I'm never going to use it. Then why do you have it? Right? I want to quit drinking. I want to quit this. Then get rid of it. Put it away from you. That's what that means. Put it away. Get rid of it. Well, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm watching the wrong things on TV. I'm watching the wrong things on Netflix or whatever. You know what? Then get rid of it. Whoa, 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 whoa. Pastor, you just went extreme. We can't do that. Why? Because society tells you you must have it. I mean, how much great spiritual strength have you gained from Netflix this week? Tell me. I'd love to hear it. What great spiritual truths did you learn on Instagram today? I'm not saying these things are necessarily inherently evil. They are tools that we can use, but that people abuse and become idols. And unless you want to say, I want to serve God, can I tell you something? Husbands, fathers, guys, are there some idols sitting in your home? And guess what? How many idols do we bow down and rub every day? But I want my children to turn out for God. Not going to happen. Well, I want my kids to love and serve God. I want my kids to be in full-time ministry. Great, but if you're bowing down, kissing the idol, rubbing it every day, because it's your pet idol, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Well, I disagree with you. Well, what does he say here? You cannot serve God. Well, I want to serve God. If you got the idols, it's not going to happen. Because your affection's not there. You can say all day long, what are they doing? They're giving lip service. And why do you think, what happened after Joshua died and after all those that were willing to stand up and say, no, we're not going to have this. As soon as they all died, what did they do? They went to idolatry. As soon as they were all gone, yay, we can finally do what we want. We've waited for this day. Finally, no one can tell us no. You know, there's some churches in America like that when the old preacher finally passed out the scene. Finally, we can get somebody, we can get what we want. All of these, can I just tell you something? God is looking for a man. 
He's looking for fathers, husbands, men who will stand. One that cannot be bought. One that is loyal to Christ. One that doesn't have an idol hiding in the closet. There are fewer and fewer who are willing to be. You know, the great days of people being saved and revival in our nation and people coming to Christ and serving God, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s, great things happening. Why don't we see it happening today? Well, you must not be praying hard enough. No, because there's less people willing to do this. There's less people willing to put away their idols. And I train my sons with the full knowledge that they might be the only ones of their peers that will. There's not many. And guess what? When I find families with kids that are like that, I tell them, make friends with that person. Because then you won't be all alone. We're raising up idolaters in our homes. And it takes form of the tablet, the video game console, and the things we give them. Nothing wrong with giving your kids things. We should. The Bible says we should. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above. Right? Amen. And our children are gifts from God. Should we provide for them? Should we give them things? Absolutely yes. But let's not give them things that are going to turn, turn them into idolaters. Be careful what you give your kids. The best gift you can give your sons and daughters is teach them how to work and work an honest living. That's the best thing you can teach them. That to take money from the government is an offense. The government's job is not there to take care of you. Amen? I know we get tax returns and we don't, you know. Can I tell you what? They give you a whole lot back than you ever paid. Can I just tell you that? Unless if you have kids. If you don't have kids, then they don't give you back anything. They make you pay more. But anyway, so that we who have kids can get your money. It's called a redistribution of wealth. That's what that is. You know what? And we can't send it back. But at the same time, one of the best gifts is teach them how to have a relationship with God. How to love him, how to be faithful to the word of God and tell them and teach them. You know what? We don't teach our kids that life's hard. Amen. We can have joy. Life's hard. You know, my, my, and some of my kids, sometimes they say to me, say, oh, dad, that's just hard. Yeah, wait till you get older. It gets harder. <laughs> you have something to look forward to here growing up, right? It's going to get harder. But also there's great joys there. Amen. There's great, wonderful things. I know I'm preaching a long time. But this morning, are you willing to stand? To stand in the gap so that destruction will not come. Why are they standing in the gap? Not just so they could be cheerleaders, yay, yay, yay. No, so they could fend off destruction. They're saying, God, give us more time. Stand, or give us more time, God. And can I tell you, there's a lot of preachers in this country that pray constantly, God, give us some more time. We're trying. But it seems that more and more and more of them are saying, well, you know what, I guess destruction's never coming. That's part of the conspiracy today. Oh, destruction can never happen to America. Really. Every other civilization that's ever existed that has gone this way, what has happened now? What happened to Rome? What happened to Egypt? 
What happened to Greece? What happened to Russia? What happened to all these places that lived in decadence and wealth and sin? What happened to them? They were destroyed. And to think it can happen to America, and guess what? There's a whole lot of countries on this earth that will love to see America destroyed. China at the top of the list. Russia second on the list. In Saudi Arabia and all the countries where we get oil from, third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth on the list. Why? Because they hate God. Muslims hate that America prospers because we're a Christian nation or claim to be. They hate that. Atheists hate that our country succeeds because of God. That's what communists are. They're atheists. So there's a lot of enemies out there. Say, well, is there any hope? Yes, there is hope. That's what God's saying. There was hope if just one did. And then we know there's a whole lot more than one. Is there hope? Yes. But because there's more than one, what can temptation can be? Oh, that's good. What the pandemic has been, has not been COVID, has been, well, somebody else is going to stand. I don't need to. Somebody else will. I don't need to. But not only we talk about a nation, but if moms or if dads and husbands, can I just say this? If you're not willing to stand in the gap, destruction is going to come to your family. It's not just about the country anymore. It's about your family because our country is made up of families and people. And churches are made up of people. So if you don't stand in the gap, gentlemen, then our church is destroyed. Your family is destroyed. Our country is destroyed. And that's exactly what the devil wants. And why do you think we have in a day that fathers don't matter? Why do you think the welfare system today will pay a woman if they have children, but if she's married and has a man in her life, they won't pay? You know what that communicates? Dads don't matter. You're not needed. Doesn't matter. That's what our government's communicating to men today. Can I tell you something? It's a lie. It's not true. God wants you. God says you're needed. God says you need to stand up. It doesn't say I sought for a woman among them. I sought for a man. Because it's men's job to stand. And if, lady, that offends you, you need to check your attitude on what the Bible says. You ought to be glad. By the way, if you have a husband that stands, you better give him a big kiss and get down on your knees and praise God you have one. Because they're pretty rare. Are you willing to stand in the gap, in the gap so destruction does not come? I pray that as generations go by, that there's not the... Word of God that says that I sought for a man among them, but I found none. Are there some here today? I pray so. If you are willing to stand, will you commit to that this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. We don't need to stand. Maybe seated. This morning, let's remain seated. Every head bowed, every eye closed. No one looking around. You're a man here this morning, or a young man. And this message has stirred your heart. So you know what? I want to be that man. I'm willing to not be. I'm willing to put away the idols if they're there and to not be tempted by idols. I'm willing 
to stand and say, this is what God says. I'm willing to stand for God no matter what, even if I give up my life for it. I'm willing to do whatever God wants me to do. I'm willing to lead my family that I have or whenever God gives me one to lead them in the way of righteousness and doing right in God's sight and following what God commands and not being ashamed of it, even if I'm the only one. You might be the only one in your family. You might be the only one in your city. I don't know. I think there's going to be more than that. But are we willing to stand and say, I'm going to stand no matter what? Some of you have already made that decision in your life, and your life reflects that. Praise God. I give God the glory and the praise, and God is pleased with your life. But some are at the beginning. I'm near the beginning of mine. And there are young men here, young fathers here, young husbands. That maybe never really thought of this or come to that place of decision. And I pray that my four boys one day will make this decision, and I'm training them to that end. But at the end of the day, I can't make the decision for them. They must make a choice. But on this Father's Day, are you willing to stand in the gap for your country, for your God, for your church, for your family? I'm willing to make up that hedge. And by the way, can I tell you something? If you're going to make up that hedge, the devil's going to attack you ferociously. But God will give you sustaining strength, as we learned in Sunday school this morning. And if that's you, would you stand right now? I'm going to stand. I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be that man. I'm going to be that leader. I'm going to stand. I'm going to be that. I want to be that for my family. It means you're going to give up some things. It means you're going to be deadly honest about some things. If there's sin in your life, be honest about it. Confess it. Get it out. Put it away from you. If you need to talk about some things with your children or with your wife or with your parents, depending who you are, then do that today. God will bless it in a special and real way. And it doesn't matter that I see you, but God sees you right now, and he sees your heart. And if your heart is genuine, your heart is pure, you're not just following the crowd, doing what everybody else is doing. Because some will undoubtedly do that. That's our nature. So, but that's me, and God sees your heart. He is pleased with that. But also know that Satan sees it and knows it and has marked you. Be ready for things to get hot. Be ready for things to get tough. But anything worth fighting for is worth enduring some things. That's why we go to the Lord. And the only way you will endure is with a real relationship with the Lord, a daily walk with him. But praise God for those who have stood. And this morning, let's pray over these men and young men that have stood and pray God's blessing upon them. And then we'll have our invitation. If there's some things that the Lord has convicted you about, take care of it. Don't wait, well, I'll take care of it tomorrow. The altar's here. Take care of it. It's between you and God. And we'll praise God that you're making a decision for him.
But let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the men who have stood today. They've counted the cost. They know that they need to stand in the gap for their family, for their church, and for their country. I pray, Lord, that you would smile upon them. You see hearts, I don't. You see motivations, I don't. And I pray that with all sincerity and honesty in our hearts and trustworthiness, Lord, in faithfulness, that we have committed our lives to you. I pray, Lord, that your smile would be upon us, your sustaining strength would be with us, and that our commitment would be genuine and firm and not wither in the day of battle. Bless, I pray, and protect each man and young man represented here today. I pray that wives and mothers and family members, Lord, would gather around them and encourage them and guide them and encourage them in their decision and not scoff at it. I pray your blessing in your direction this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.